Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop, and this is the Meet Cute Book Pod. Today, we have the recording of our delightful panel celebrating the launch of Usma Jalaluddin's latest book, Much Ado About Nada, with Usma Sahar Jahani and Usma Zahanat Khan. This conversation was wide-ranging and a lot of fun. Our panelists talk about writing process, working on book-to-film adaptations, growing up with a lack of industry representation, being ambitious Muslim women, and then they take audience questions and face a lightning round of tough choices like, which is your favorite Jane Austen adaptation? Mine is the 1995 BBC Pride and Prejudice, hands down. I introduce our guests at the beginning of the panel, so we'll get right to it. Through the magic of podcasting, here's the audio from our Much Ado About Netta launch party. So Usma Jalaluddin is the author of Aisha at Last and Hanukkah Carries On. And of course, the book we are here to chat about, Much Ado About Netta. She is a high school teacher and also a Toronto Star columnist and a contributor to The Atlantic. Her first novel was optioned for film by Pascal Pictures, and her second novel was optioned for film by Kaling International and Amazon Studios. She lives in Toronto with her family. Sahar Jahani is a first-generation Iranian-American writer-director raised in Los Angeles. She worked in scripted development at YouTube Originals before transitioning to the writer's room on the Emmy-nominated Hulu series Rami, where she wrote her first episode of television and won a Peabody, along with the other writers, for their work on the first season. Since then, Sahar has written on several shows, including the acclaimed series 13 Reasons Why, The Bold Type, Echoes, and was most recently a consulting producer on Amy Schumer's Life and Beth on Hulu. On the film side, Sahar adapted Uzma's first novel, Aisha at Last, for Pascal Pictures, and is currently adapting her second novel, Hannah Khan Carries On, for Amazon Studios and executive producer Mindy Kaling. Sahar has also developed her own series of shows at HBO Max, Netflix, and Amazon. In addition to all of her film and TV work, because she is not busy enough, Sahar's writing has been featured in the New York Times Modern Love column, and she is currently working on her first YA novel, and hopefully sleeping sometimes, I don't know. Um... Usma Zahanat Khan holds a PhD in international human rights law with a specialization in military intervention and war crimes in the Balkans. We should talk later. Um, she is the author of the award-winning Issa Katak and Rachel Getty mystery series, which begins with The Unquiet Dead, as well as the author of the critically acclaimed Khorasan Archives fantasy series. Her new crime series, featuring Detective Inaya Rahman, debuts with Blackwater Falls this November. Khan is also a contributor to the anthologies Private Investigations, Swordstone Table, and The Perfect Crime, and the former editor-in-chief of Muslim Girl Magazine. A British-born Canadian and former adjunct law professor, Khan now lives in Colorado with her husband. You are all overachievers. (laughs) Well, thank you all for joining us. Usma, if you could start by reading a short excerpt from your new book, Much Ado About Netta, that would be delightful. Sure, I would be happy to. And thank you, everyone who has joined us. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time out from your busy nights. And uh, yeah, yeah. so welcome. Uh, so this is my my third novel, Much Ado About Nada, which we're here to celebrate. Uh, it launched officially yesterday. And I'll be reading from the very beginning of uh, the novel since the book just came out. This is from chapter two. Uh, and it's a really short excerpt. Basically, what's happening in this uh, in this part of the book is the main character, Nada, who is about to turn 29. She uh, has been dragged out of her house by her best friend, Halima, who is worried that she's stuck in a rut. And she's being forced to attend against her will, kind of. Her friend kind of kidnapped her. 
a really big, massive Muslim convention. Uh, and unbeknownst to uh, Nada's friend Halima, the reason why Nada didn't want to go is because she was afraid of bumping into people that she does not want to see, including her ex. And of course, that happens immediately because it's a romance novel. Uh, so we're going to, I'm going to read that moment. So this is from page 16. As the women made their way through the entrance hall, Nada kept turning her head, trying to take everything in, from the banks of escalators transporting eager conventioneers to the enormous bazaar with more boost than she could see from this angle. And was that a pop-up food court? Halima's boast about her fiancé now took on a new light, and she rapidly recalibrated her initial assumption. If Zayn was even partially responsible for this undertaking, she was impressed. See why I've been bugging you for years to attend, Halima said now? You're going to meet so many boys. Nada laughed. Her friend was nothing if not focused, though it was true that Islamic conventions were notorious for meet-cutes, sanctioned, serendipitous, or more formally arranged. But it was more than that, Nada thought as she looked around. There was a buzzing electricity in the air, a happy hum of thousands of people greeting, meeting, and reuniting. The only other times Nada had been surrounded by large numbers of Muslims was during Eid celebrations at her mosque, but this convention was on another level. An unexpected swell of joy replaced the butterflies in her stomach. It felt affirming to be part of the crowd, to watch her fellow Muslims take up space and center their stories, experiences, problems, and triumphs. The feeling of belonging lasted until she spotted the snaking line in front of the registration tables by the escalators. Undaunted, Halima headed straight for the middle, where their friends let them cut. So, where's Zane? One of her friends asked, scanning the crowd as if he would appear when summoned. I thought you'd get the royal treatment now that you're marrying into the Huck dynasty. Text your man and tell him you're here. Halima obliged, and her phone pinged back almost immediately. We're supposed to go to the hospitality desk over there. She pointed across the hall at a lone booth with no line. As they approached, Nada spied a tall man, his face in shadows. There was something familiar about the shape of his head, the breadth of his shoulders, and her steps faltered. Is that Zane? She asked Halima, hopefully. Her friend shook her head. His younger brother, she said, with a mischievous smile. Zane is busy right now, but Baz will take care of us. I've been looking forward to introducing you. Nada felt as if she were walking through soup as she approached the booth, each step a leaden weight. Blood rushed to her face as she made out familiar features. Smooth brown skin, hair cut close to his head, deep set eyes, full lips. Baz Huck, after all these years. She couldn't stop staring. Then Halima greeted him and gestured to her friends to come forward. He caught sight of Nada and his warm brown skin turned ashy, as if he had seen a ghost. Do you know each other? Uh, Halima asked, her pretty brow furrowed in confusion. Nada said nothing, but Baz answered, uh, from a long time ago. His tone was clipped, discouraging further questions. His face shuddered tight. Baz kept his eyes trained on Halima and ignored Nada entirely. Oh my God, suspense. <laughs> suspense. <laughs> um, thank you. Also, Baz is a hot name. I There's like a thing where what? some names are hot names. Like I can't, I don't make the rules, but I like do know. And that's a hot name. So <laughs> a plus. Good I choice. Agree. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Asma and Sahar, do you have questions for Usma that you want to ask? One of you, maybe Sahar, do you want to start? Yeah, of course. Um, also, I have, I read the whole book. I just want to say that um, it's scandalous and I love it. And I'm so proud of Asma for writing a book because it's so hard. So just congratulations again. But I kind of, I feel like I understand a little bit about your process because I've 
written with you and we've adapted together and I write movies and TV and it's a whole other world. Can you talk a little bit about your process of writing books and Asma, Asma too? Sorry, you both have the same name. I don't know if you know this, but uh, that's true. Asma and Asma. <laughs> uh, but maybe you can both talk about your writing novels and what that's like. Sure. Uh, I can I can get started. Um, writing is so painful, isn't it? Like it, it really is. Uh, it's it's such a long process, and for me, it's very iterative. So like I find I have to like write drafts and drafts before I kind of figure out what I'm what I'm doing. And for this novel, at least, this was the second book in a two book contract that I signed way back in 2019. So it's been kind of sitting in my head for four years. Um, but of course, I had to finish. I I had to I had to kind of launch Hanahan Carries On, which was my second book, as you know, Sahar, because you adapted it for Mindy Kaling. It's so exciting. Uh, and so, you know, once all of that was done, I would say in 2021 ish, I really sat down and started thinking about what this book was going to look like. And I, I spent the, I wrote this book the fastest out of any of my books. So I, I think I'm getting better because my first book took me eight years and then my second book took me two years. And this book only took me a little over a year. So, uh, you know, practice makes perfect. And so with this book, what I did first was I I essentially outlined it. So I knew that I wanted to set, I, I knew that I wanted to write a more serious story. I knew that I was going to take persuasion, roughly like Jane Austen's persuasion as my inspiration. Uh, and then I had this idea of like matching because I love Jane Austen, but I also love Shakespeare. I had this idea of matching together uh, much ado about nothing, the play, as well as persuasion kind of together and then making this beautiful book baby. Uh, and the only thing that's left of uh, Much Ado About Nothing is essentially ba the name Baz, which is sort of a callback to Benedict, and the title. Like the book, I wrote a first draft that was this really awkward match of the two books. I think Asma read it. It didn't work. And I had to rip it apart and rewrite the entire thing. Actually, I think you said it did work, but you were lying. Uh, so, <laughs> so I went back and I rewrote it. But way back when I first started, I outlined it. So I had maybe a 10 to 20 page outline in Sahara. I'd love to hear your process because I think movies and TV shows are different. Uh, but the outline was essentially me kind of trying to dig into the characters and then telling myself what happens in the story from the very beginning to the end. So it was all of the beats, all of the, you know, this chapter one, this happens, chapter two, this happens, and all the way straight through the book. And then I thought, okay, good. Now I have an outline. I can just write it. How easy? Totally not. Um, I got to the first draft. I got to 30,000 words and I realized that um, I had the wrong uh, main character. Like I had the wrong love interest. And uh, initially it was Zane who was the love interest, like the, the, the fiance of the best friend. And I was like, no, but he's not, he's not very interesting. The, the brother is more interesting. So he has to be the love interest. Then I had to rewrite it. And then I got to the end of the book and I, I thought it was okay. And then over the course of the summer, I realized that it wasn't the, the Shakespearean angle wasn't working. And so I had to furiously over the course of two months, rewrite the entire second half of the book. Uh, and it was, it was just because I read it over. Nobody really said there was anything wrong with it, but it didn't feel right to me. And so I completely re restructured and redrafted and replotted the second half of the book. And uh, that's, what became of uh, Much Ado About Nada, uh, which has nothing to do with Shakespeare and everything to do with Jane Austen. Uh, but I'm really proud of how it turned out. Yeah, no, it's an absolutely fabulous book. I think it's my favorite out of your three books. Thank um, you. I love that Baz is such a cold, brooding hero that you unpack more and more and unravel. I love it when men fall madly in love and with women, but completely hold it back and then 
have to slowly unravel. So you've done a masterful job with that. And what Usma is not telling you about her process is I have seen the poster board that has like the, or the work board that has the post-it notes in different colors where she tracks her various subplots. It's really Machiavellian and I, I'm always very impressed by that. Um, but no, every time she would send me a draft, we are critique partners. So she reads my books and I read her books and we try to help each other muddle through to the end of the deadline. Um, but every time I read draft, I'd be like, this is amazing. I love it. And then I would just say, can they please be together more on the page? And <laughs> I would really I'd be like, I need more. I need more Baz. I need more Baz doing things to Nada. That's what I need. <laughs> and so every draft got hotter and hotter, but still Islamically appropriate, I want to point out. <laughs> but at least her hardcore fans from the beginning. Um, and it's just a wonderful and delightful read. And I think one of the things that Asma and I have in common is that we like to outline. We do a little bit differently because I write a also a 20-page outline, a running scene outline. I write mainly crime novels. And my big concern with outlining and not being someone who's a pants or writing from the, by the seat of my pants is that um, I'm afraid to be outsmarted by my readers who will figure out the plotting and the clues before they get to the end of the book. So that's what I spend most of my time on. And I try to write to outline. I never have enough time to do what Usma has done which is tear my book apart and go again. The most I can do is amend scenes here and there and try to make them add up by the end. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty methodical. I write every day, Monday to Friday, a few hours a day when I'm on deadline. And the best part of it is to send a chapter that's rough and then say to Osma, something is not working here, but for the life of me, I cannot figure out why it's not working. And then she'll read it through and she'll be like, well, what if you did this? Or what if you did that? This is not good, but this could be good. And I've always found that really helpful and to me it's so great to have a romance novelist perspective because I like to put romance in my books but I am not that great at it so whenever Usma adds her perspective I'm like aha that's why it didn't work and this is how I can make my book a little bit steamier but also Islamically appropriate so <laughs> that's part of my process and it's also part of why I love having Usma as a critique partner and I love getting to see every version of her books and I love getting to see you know, her characters muddle their way, struggle their way to their happy ending. Um, but I think if you haven't read it yet, you've got to get your hands on it because this book will make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It'll make you blush. It'll make you bang your head against the wall or want to bang Baz's head against the wall. So it's definitely a must read. And um, now I think it's time for us to hear about Sahar's process. Like, I can't even imagine. Osama and I have talked about this a lot, writing for TV and whether we should even try. And then we're like, we have no idea how those writers do what they do. So please tell us what's well, the magical formula. I, I, feel, I feel the same about you guys. I'm like, I don't know how you do this and you write like such long books. Like uh, <laughs> you know, a script like at best is 120 pages, you know, um, for features. So, and even less for TV. So I, I kudos to you guys. I'm learning a lot because I have to write my first book. And I definitely picked Asma's brain. I was like, I don't understand. But I also, I'm surprised that anybody who doesn't outline, like I've never encountered that because in film and TV, like we have to outline. It's part of our process. It's part of like a studio network process where you have to turn in, at least in television, like an outline of your script in every episode. And so even before that, you there's so many guardrails to like, the story. So you can't just turn in a script all done. Uh, you actually pitch this, pitch the episode and then you write like maybe a story area, which is just like a summary, like a paragraph summary. And then you do a beat sheet, which is like 
a smaller outline or like a more um, basic outline. And then the outline is like really where the meat of the story kind of comes out and you can write a little bit of dialogue. Like you're writing your scenes essentially uh, through the whole thing. Um, but it's really where the story comes together. And if your outline isn't working, then you kind of know your your script is probably not going to work. And it's really for us like structural. Um, I think you can get like the details of like the dialogue and stuff later, but um, it is really, really important uh, in our world to outline. So I don't know, uh, like I, I, I was talking to my book editor and she's like, just send me the manuscript, like when you're done. And I was like, what? Like, you don't want to see an <laughs> You don't want to see my entire process as I'm pulling my hair out. And she's like, no, you know, we don't really do that in publishing. And I was like, that's wild. So I think like there's more guardrails in film and TV because there's, I think maybe higher stakes in terms of money and budget and like how much time and effort. And also we're, we're moving at a much faster pace, right? Like a TV show. And of course the writer's guild is on strike right now. So I kind of want to just pay homage to everybody on the picket lines and we're not working, but when we are working, you know, it's 20 week writer rooms, um, on some of these shows. And that's really the, the time you have to break an entire season of a show, which is not much time at all. So you're working at like a really fast pace. Um, but you have a whole writer's room hope. And this is what we're fighting for is to have enough writers in the writer's room to actually do our jobs. Um, I think it's so much harder to be like an individual in your office, Ozma, and and writing your book, you know, day after day. So it takes so much discipline and effort. And I really commend your guys's process. But similarly, I mean, you know, I write features and it's sort of a lonely process. You know, you're kind of just in your office um, and you have a deadline and you have to meet it. So you have to kind of pace yourself. But it's been really nice to adapt books. I really enjoy that because Isma gives me such a amazing like baseline and foundation for all the the stories that she writes. And it, they're so cinematic in a way. Like I already can see Nada as a movie. We talked about it this morning. We're like, we got to do this. So yeah, I mean, she's, it's, it just jumps off the page and I'm so excited to see her, her, her stories on screen, hopefully soon one day. Thank you. Thanks, Sahar. Thanks, Asma. Asma, thank you so much for the kind words. And Sahar, like, I, I still don't understand how you can write a TV show and break a TV show in a room with, like, so many other writers. Like, this is, writing books is just so completely different from writing, uh, you know, TV. I, I actually recently co-wrote a book, so I, it was a little bit of, like, having one other partner to kind of go through the whole process. And it is nice to have, like, two brains instead of one, but it's just so, it's, it the entire process is just wild to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but, you say like, it's kind of chaotic magic. Like nobody yeah. knows how it's made, but it somehow it is. So yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. a whole other conversation, but yeah, definitely. We'll get into it a little bit. Yeah. I'm curious if you two would talk a little bit about how you work together on, on an adaptation or like, do you not work together? Is it just like the book goes to Sahar? Like how does, how has that worked for you? Asma, do you want to? Yeah. Well, I mean, essentially, you know, we, this partnership, I'm so grateful. We were just talking about this the other day. We were so grateful to Amy Pascal, who is a big time Hollywood producer. She produces Spider-Man um, movies. I mean, she's, she's huge. And she actually discovered, or, you know, she, she optioned uh, Uzma's first book, Aisha at last. 
And they were, and basically in Hollywood, the way it works is it's so crazy because publishing and and the film industry are so hand in hand now, like books are getting optioned for film and TV before they even come out, like before they're even written sometimes because of this demand for IP, which is intellectual property. And I think Hollywood loves books because they're just a safeguard and a very safe way to be like, this is what the movie will be like. So we love IP. I mean, they love IP writers. They're a little bit, uh, you know, more peeved about like having to adapt. Not me. I think, I think there should be a balance of both books and original IP, but the way that it works is, you know, producers will option a book and they'll find a screenwriter who can adapt it. And, you know, in Hollywood, there's not too many Muslim women um, screenwriters. There's a 0.2% of us uh, who are Middle Eastern slash, you know, I mean, that doesn't include South Asian or, you know, whatever, whatever kind of other Muslim you are. But in, in the group of like Middle Eastern, which is what I am, there's 0.2% of us. And that's literally zero. <laughs> there's, we don't exist. So it was a really, I think, a serendipitous time. I got a call from my agent um, who had said, Amy Pascal picked up this book. They're interested in your take on it. And I guess the process on my end, and Uzma can talk about your end, but basically I got the book. I had a few weeks to read it. And what they like to do is get a bunch of writers who do takes on a book. So you come in and you pitch your your version of it as a film and you have to do like a whole pitch. It's a whole like song and dance on how you would adapt this for the screen. And I did that um, first for Amy's like executive and then they liked it and I was very nervous. It was, it was like my first time pitching to a big Hollywood studio. And then they took me into Amy's office and I pitched it for her and she I can't like I'll never forget her office looked like a Jane Austen novel like just she had like an amazing Victorian era office on the Sony lot um she's now at Universal anyways it was like it was wild I was like I don't understand what's going on and so you know you pitch you you pitch your take and they had some notes for me and then they're like we we really like your your version of this so and I didn't really change much about Aisha at last I actually really loved the book I thought it was really well done and like the structure made sense so um you know you you kind of have to just like pick pick and choose what you think will will make for a good cinematic story and we we have to cut a lot of stuff from books because you guys have so much you know, story area to write. Uh, and in a film, you have, you know, 90 minutes essentially to kind of bring this character to life. So it's a lot of like trimming and condensing ideas and making it visual rather than like internal. Because again, in a book, you can kind of internally write about what the characters are thinking. In a movie, you have to show the audience what they're thinking or you have to imply what they're thinking. So it's a lot of that. Um, and then I, and then, you know, we got the deal and I, I think I met, I don't know, it was my, how did we meet the first time? Do we like get on a Zoom? I think it was after, uh, no, you know what? It was after they had hired you. Like from my end, it was essentially um, this, I'll never, I'll never forget this moment. So my book was, was out in Canada. It would, it had just been out in 2018 for like maybe a couple of months and it was going to come out in the United States in 2019. So a, a year later. Uh, there was a delay because of like the selling of the the different the American rights and the Canadian rights, uh, which happens in publishing sometimes. And I was actually driving home from uh, like a writer's retreat and my, my friend was driving 
And in the car, I got this, you know, this basically this email from my my uh, my film uh, my film agent. So it's an agent who specifically works with, uh, you know, the IP products like the the books to books to TV and film. And he was like, "Big news! Amy Pascal, you know, has has put in an offer." And I was like, "Who's Amy Pascal?" Uh, because she's a huge deal, but she's not a household name. Because you know, we know we recognize the names of the movies that she's done, but not her. She's kind of a behind the scenes producer. And so I, I Googled her and I started hyperventilating. Like I was like, oh my God, I can't believe, I think my, my life is about to change. Uh, and, you know, a couple of months later, I think Sahar, they had found Sahar and I I couldn't believe my luck because I knew how rare Sahar was. Like Sahar is a unicorn. She's super talented, extremely smart. Uh, and she's a visibly Muslim woman in Hollywood. And I was like, is this is this for real? Does this even exist? Like, where did Amy find you? And uh, <laughs> she just like, she she just you know you, you it was meant to be um and then i think we were on a we had a phone call and then we had a couple of zoom calls and then we just really hit it off and our partnership has been really wonderful uh essentially i'm like sahari trust you just do your best and then, and then she'll occasionally ask me questions but you know i i i guess um a lot of writers get very precious with their with their books and and i am too of course it's my my story it's my baby but i i also really trust uh screenwriters hashtag pay your screenwriters come on you know amptp what are you doing this is ridiculous uh support the writers uh they're talented extremely intelligent exceptional people who are professionals and i i was like i really trust you sahar i i like your vision and uh sahar would basically send me drafts and she you know like when she after you know she'd finished writing a, uh, a script she'd send it to me for notes and i of course I'm, I'm a big fan so i love everything that you do and i would just kind of maybe like a little bit of the culture because you know you're you're from iranian background i'm i'm desi my parents are from india so a little bit of like okay a little bit is this a little bit of that but because we share community, because we share like a similar outlook and upbringing, I think we were on the page uh, a lot. And that's really been a gift for it's going on uh, two book ad adaptations at this point. So yeah, it's uh, it was meant to be Amy matchmaked us like we, we're really the love story here, right? Like <laughs> our meet cute was <laughs> the real story. Happily ever after. So <laughs> we're out of and you weren't married as my, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but, but I will say I, I did go to Canada to meet Asma and to like get to know the world of the Golden Crescent because I know it's not a real place, but it's based off of like Scarborough and Mississauga. And I had never been. And I'm from Los Angeles. And the fact that I was like transported into a Muslim Middle Eastern slash South Asian world, I was like, this is insane that like your population is more than the white people. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> My neighbor, our brown towns, as we call them. Yeah. yeah. And it really helps me understand the world of the book. And, you know, for our adaptations, we, I think the first one we used Toronto, but like the, the other ones we were changing it up a little bit, but yeah, I mean, and I see a question here about Hannah Khan and I'll just really quickly maybe tell that story if you guys are okay with that. But, um, with, you know, Aisha at last, we, we unfortunately didn't go to screen with it. Um, it was like in this whole deal making process with Amy, she left, her Sony deal and went to Universal and it, it got very complicated, but um, it was a really good trial run because I really think Hannah Khan and knock on wood, knock on wood, inshallah, like it's, 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 
it's doing well in, in the development world as we call it. And I basically, I knew about your book coming out, Hannah Khan, and you sent me drafts of it, I think. And we, we talked about it. And obviously I was like, if, if you do any other thing, I want to write this and adapt this. So, but I think it was about taking it to the right producer. And we, we love Amy. We, we, we think very highly of her, but Amy's also a very traditional old school producer. Like she makes theatrical movies for the big screen. And nowadays everything is streaming, right? Like I think that, I think Aisha is a small story. Like it's a rom-com. It's not a a hundred million dollar film, like at best. Marvel movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. cheap movie, like in a good way. And I really felt like Hannah Khan needs like a home where it can be made like quickly and, you know, swiftly and, and embraced by like a digital audience. Um, so anyways, I, I read the book. I was like, I think this is perfect for Mindy Kaling because she loves, um, so it's based off of you've got mail, right. And shop around the corner. And that is Mindy's favorite movie of all time. And I'm, uh, I was a little obsessed with Mindy. Okay, guys, she's my like writing idol. I grew up watching her on The Office and I just think she's amazing. And I was like, I think this is a great book for them. So I actually took the book with Uzma's permission. I was like, I think I'm going to just like give it to them, <laughs> like, get, like take it. So I kind of pitched it to them as a film and my take on it. And they were like, great, we love this actually. And I think Mindy read it and they had a sort of partnership with Amazon and they really quickly took it to Amazon. I mean, it just goes to show like the, the fast pace that like Hollywood works. I think within a month or two, like it was so fast. We got the deal with Amazon and they're like, let's go. Like, we just love the story. We love this take. And yeah. And then it took me, it took me a year to write it. I will say that took me a, a while because I was on a bunch of shows, pandemic happened, but I think our final product is really, really good. And we're super excited. And yeah, we're just, ho- I think like, I think Nada is going to be very competitive. Like I think a lot of people are going to want it. So um, yeah, I just like, it's about finding the right partnership and the right home. And I love working with Asma, so I hope I can continue adapting all your books forever. Um, but yeah, I also think like, I think I know Asma wants to write I know you want to write for the screen, right? At some point. So maybe. Yeah, I'd like to. I know Asma and I have talked about this. Um, I, I think we're both very ambitious, which I think is one. I know we're going to get to this question from you, Asma, in a second. But uh, and actually all three of us are right. And I want to do everything. And I, I think all, all of you want to do everything, right? Like uh, writing short stories, anthologies. Uh, you know, Asma wrote like an entire fantasy series as well as a crime fiction series. And Sahara, you've written for uh, television. I know you're thinking about writing a play. Uh, you've written movies. Um, you've sold to the biggest names in the industry. And now you're writing a novel. So we're we're trying to do all the things. I don't know if it's like we're all trying to make up for like the lost opportunities of our ancestors or what's happening here. But <laughs> we're definitely doing... You forgot to mention your musical, Isma. Oh, and yeah. I think we're trying our hand at. <laughs> yes, that's right. I just have to figure out, no, you're going to do the music and I'm going to do the lyrics or we're going to do both. I, I forget. Um, yeah. And I think as artists, like we're, we're allowed to throw things at the wall and see what sticks. And I think that's kind of what's going on right now. Everybody's sort of figuring out the best way to tell stories. I mean, there's like podcasts, there's, there's books, there's play, like, there's so many different mediums. So I think it's totally fair for us to want to try all of it. Like, why not? You know, which I think brings me to the question I wanted to ask Usma about ambition, female ambition. This is a question that Usma and I have discussed in various states of joy and despair and misery and 
and hunger, I would say, a hunger to do something more. Um, we're both South Asian girls of a certain generation, um, although I'm 10 years older than Asma, so not quite the same generation, but um, we lived with a set of family expectations from immigrant parents, and we've been directed down certain paths and never really um, considered the arts as a, as a genuine career option for ourselves in our 20s and 30s. And we both got published much later in life. So one of the things that, um, one of the themes of Much Ado about Nada is Nada's failed ambitions. And we were talking, you know, mainly in the context of being Desi girls and what that looks like for us. And I was really interested in what inspired you, particularly Uzma, to make that so much part of Nada's journey and what you did with that character. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I, actually, as you know, Asma, like that was the the reason why I started writing this book. Like as much as I wanted to do like my Shakespeare Austin mashup, like that was kind of the vehicle for the the message that I really wanted to get into. And I think when I started thinking about this book, I had finished writing my my second book, and you know, uh, like Sahar was saying, the the attention that the the Mindy Kaling Amazon deal brought to me and brought to her. Uh, you know, it, it felt like I was on the cusp of something. And I and I was like, I I never even thought of myself. I thought it would be difficult for me to get one book published. And now I have two books published. I've had both of them optioned for film. Uh, and yet at the same time, my day job, I'm I'm still a high school teacher. Like I'm I'm even to this day, I taught high school. Uh just earlier today, we're going to the end of June. We're heading into exams. So I I felt like there's two parts of me, but I really felt like kind of pulled in two different directions. Like there's like teacher Ozma who shows up and, you know, grades tests and, you know, marks essays and things like that. And then there's this other part of me that like this, this almost much younger iter version of myself who like, I, I grew up wanting to be involved in writing somehow. I, I had no way to like know anything about the industry because there were no mentors. There was no one to, to ask. There was no one who even remotely was like from my community who was forget like a writer, like any kind of creative artist. There was nobody there. I, I can't stress this enough. We had lots of dentists and doctors and lawyers, but absolutely no artists. So like no, no one contributing to culture in, in a really specific way. And so I, I, I mean, the closest you would get is journalism. And I think Sahar, you have the story where like, okay, you know, I'm going to be a journalist. I want to get into this, but really um, what I needed to do was just be ambitious for myself. And I think sometimes as, and I'm going to say like as a blanket statement, like this is a first generation immigrant problem, a second generation immigrant problem. We we just don't know how to dream those big dreams for, for, for ourselves because as supportive as my parents are and have always been, um, they can only do so much. They're still trying to navigate their way in this, this country uh, that they've moved to, you know, relatively recently. And, um, at least for myself, I, they didn't have like the safety net to be like, okay, I have a trust fund for you. Just do whatever you want. I had to go, go, go to school to get a job. Uh, and so I, I went into teaching, which is, you know, the natural progression for someone who studies English in university, right? Of course, you're going to be a teacher, uh, or a journalist. So when I got to wanting to write about Nada, I was like, but what if she's, you know, in her, in her late twenties. So she's not a young girl. She's not, she's not like old, not that, you know, I believe that there's a certain number that makes you old, but she's, she's not in the first blush of her youth. And because I was taking persuasion as my inspiration here, Anne Elliot from persuasion is 27, which, you know, 200 years ago, that's ancient. She's on the shelf. She's a spinster. She'll never get married. Her life is over. Right. Uh, and I thought, well, here's, 
this is a good way for for me to talk about what is it like to be, you know, someone who's not in the first blush of you, someone who's in her late twenties and who's who's been done school for a while and is working and is kind of in a rut. Like she she had dreams for herself when she was much younger and none of them materialized. She had a, a business that she started and it failed miserably because she was betrayed by her business partner. She's unlucky in love. She has like a really uh, you know disappointing love life. Something awful happened to her when she was younger in, in terms of her, her disappointment. What do you do at that point? Like, what do you do? How do you live with your regrets? Because in Persuasion, Anne Elliott... Uh, doesn't think her life is ever going to get better. She thinks that her, you know, her her life is is as it is. Um, there is nothing more to hope for. And Nada kind of feels the same too. Um, so Asma had to go because uh, she had another engagement. Uh, and so um, Nada feels very similarly. She she feels like she's you know, there, there's there's really nowhere for her to go. So I, I wanted to dig into that. And like, Sahar, you're a very ambitious person. I, in fact, I have watched you hustle and I'm so impressed by you all the time. I think I tell you all this time, your hashtag goals. Uh, did you ever feel like that? Like you're, you're younger than me. So did you feel like it was difficult for you to almost like go against the current? Yeah, it's so funny. I just messaged Uzma directly because I was like, I don't know if I'll get to say this, but I actually wrote for Muslim Girl Magazine. Oh my God, no way. And I just, she just said she was the editor of, like, I'm like shocked. It's such a callback, but it it just goes to show that like you guys, you are a generation older than me, but like you were pioneers in so many ways for, for writers. And, um, I, I wish I had known you guys coming up because I too, like, didn't have anybody to look up to, but there was tricklings, right? Like there's like, like Lena Khan in film, like she's a director and she's like the first hijabi I ever saw as a director and I was like whoa you can do that and um I I have to say like I I am ambitious <laughs> I think I, in a lot of ways like what our parents have instilled in us is this crazy work ethic so while my parents weren't super happy that I was becoming a writer because their hopes and dreams and desires as first generation immigrants is just for their kids to be better than they were and to have better lives than they were and I know that their fear comes from a place of love. Um, they also instill in this crazy amount of pressure to be the best of the best of the best, right? So I just knew that if I'm going to go into film and TV, like I'm just going to have to be the best of the best. Like that's just what it is. And so I think if I was a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, I I would still want to be the best because that's what they taught us. And um, I think it comes from like a survival mechanism. <laughs> like we just have to be better than everybody else. Um, and so... I appreciate that. And, and, and it's something that I've taken with me into this world. And honestly, like, I just feel like nobody is going to hand us anything. Like we are women of color, first generation immigrant women. We're already at such a disadvantage coming into these fields. Um, so I do feel like I have to be 10 times better than everybody else because I already have so many things that are setting me back. But the things that I also thought were setbacks back in the day when I was growing up, like being a Muslim girl and, you know, not having all the experiences that everybody else has. Those are the stories that like now people want to hear. They're like, wait, tell us more about going to an all Muslim school growing up. And that's the show that I sold to Amazon. So like, I do think that the things that we thought um, made us different are actually the things that give us our superpower now. And I embrace it. I love it. I love that your stories too are so specific to the Muslim community. Like 
the ISNA convention aspect of your book, it's like, who's going to get that? But we will like, it's, it's specific, but it has so much universality to it. So I think that's where great writing comes in is even if you're writing about this very, very, you know, unique world, everybody's going to understand it because it comes from an emotional place of love and romance. And everybody knows that. So I love that you lean into the specificity, whereas artists, I think in the Muslim world coming up, you know, we've seen a lot of brown people in film and TV sort of wash away their brownness by wanting to be more white. And, you know, people like the critique of, you know, a lot of the stuff that Mindy Kaling does, or a lot of the stuff that we've seen in the past has been like that. It feels whitewashed. It doesn't feel specific, but I would argue that that was the world that they came up in. Right. And now we're in a world where we can change that. And we are with our specificity. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, (laughs) I'm, I'm just like, I just think you have to work at your craft. And for me, that's doing all these different things and figuring out um, what works and what sticks. I love that. I guess we can move on to some of the Q&As uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have some audience questions. We'll start with a question from Amna who asks, what advice do you have for someone similar who has creative ambitions, but has no professional or academic background in the creative art? My advice is always to just keep reading. Uh, I'm not sure I'm not if you want to be a, a writer of books or, you know, you want to write um, anything really. Uh, but to have a strong foundation in what what is out there, what is pop culture kind of interested in, what have they been interested in the past, to be familiar with, like, and I'm not going to, I want to be all like English teachery on you, but like, you don't have to necessarily know literary theory, but you have to know, you have to have like develop an innate sense of story. Like Asma and I are, you know, critique partners, you know, me and Zahara have conversations about story and about character too. Uh, and it's, it, it th- those instincts are kind of honed because we we read a lot and we write a lot. So reading was mostly free, especially if you live near a public library. Um, you know, there's lots of devices that you can read on. And uh, and then just practice. You know, don't be afraid to put pen to paper, put fingers to keyboard, and actually just try to write as much as you possibly can uh, with no purpose other than for your own enjoyment. Uh, so much of this industry is like you get literally nowhere. Like I'm sure, Sahar, you write drafts and drafts of things and you're like, I don't know where this is going to go. I know I do that. Uh, and yet every single word I write means that I'm getting better. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming a much better writer than I was before. So th- that would be my initial uh, thing. And then try to find your people, try to find community on Twitter, um, try to find your community on Instagram. That helps as well. Fiona wants to know if the success of Never Have I Ever has impacted this process or the way that you pitch things. Sorry, want to tackle that? I mean, I think the show highlighted like a brown girl in high school, which we hadn't seen a whole lot of. So I think it did bring YA in a different world to the forefront of audiences. Um, Even though I think like books, actually book publishing, I feel like there's a lot more YA stories about people of color um, versus like TV shows. So I think like those worlds are merging. But um, I mean, you know... I don't know. I, I don't think it impacted us enti- like that much, but I do think like the power of Mindy Kaling just again continues to grow. So never have I ever was super successful, but I think she had success before that too, just on her own terms. Um, but I think it's exciting to see like now brown characters and and, and a lot of them in a show and 
we don't have to have like the token one anymore. Like we can have multitudes of these characters and they can all be of different backgrounds and personalities. And that's really exciting to be able to make our shows more nuanced uh, and our stories more nuanced. Usma, Fiona would like to know, how do you balance writing and teaching and parenting, which are all very demanding jobs in terms of time, energy, and emotion? (laughs) Right now, I'm doing it very badly. (laughs) Uh, There's no answer to this, Fiona, as you know, like, um, and Fiona's a friend of mine. She's a teacher as well, a retired teacher, but you know, you, you know, the grind of it. Before this year, I would say I, I I balanced it by not publishing very often. So my first two books came out two years apart. And then in around 2021, I lost my mind and decided to write two books in the same year while I was teaching. And my son is in grade 12 this year. So yeah. Um, and I, 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 I suffered for it. Like, I'll, I'll be completely honest. Like, it was very, uh, very stressful. I think so, I would call Saharan complain. I would call Usman complain. Uh, thank God for good writer friends who really understand how difficult it is to create and how frustrating it can be. Um, And I worked, I think I took some, you know, teachers notoriously have, of course, the summer off. I took one weekend off, one long weekend off in the summer, and I worked every single day outside of that. So I I burned myself out. Uh, Highly do not recommend that. Um, So there is no solution. If you want to pursue many things and you want to lean into the ambition, the corollary is that you will be very tired. Uh, so I'm very tired. Uh, I've been trying to do more self-care. I'm trying to, you know, at least take one day off a week. So I, I'll one day on the weekend, I'll be like, I'm not doing anything today. Then, of course, I end up doing like house stuff, right? Because you can't get away from doing house stuff. Um, and I, I hope to be better in the future because, you know, w- what is this life for? Except we, we can't work all the time. Rest is really important. And it's especially important uh, when you want to do creative works. Yeah. And also, if you don't have a life, I tell Asma, like, what are you going to write about? You know, like yes. teaching? <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying to encourage Asma to become a full-time writer. <laughs> can And this is, I think, again, our fear of like fully committing to the art world <laughs> uh, because it's scary. It's scary to think like you had this whole life before where you were a teacher and there's a stable income. There's, you know, your pension plan, all the, my mom's a teacher. So like, I understand. And to walk away from that is difficult, but I feel like you're going to figure it out. Yeah, I think so. I think I'm at that crossroads. Yeah. We are running out of time, but I have one more audience question and then we'll do our lightning round. The question is for Usma, but I'm going to say this is for both of you. What is your favorite Jane Austen adaptation? Ooh, um, I, I am very partial to the 1995 A&E uh, Pride and Prejudice, the miniseries. I'm OG like that. But, uh, you know, I, I also think that the, um, the what was it, 2006, 2007? I can't remember. The, the, it was Ang Lee who, who directed it. Uh, did a great job. It was pretty hot. Yeah, I like the that one too. The Knightley one? Yeah, the Kira Knightley one, yeah. That's like my generation. Like we love, we will watch her any day. Yes. Yeah. That's my favorite part. Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm it's in 1995 girly, but the Angley sense and sensibility is an underrated adaptation. I think that's a good one. That's right. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to take us into the lightning round. The rules are you answer quickly. Okay. All right. Um, and we'll do Usman and then Sahar. That's the order. Ready? Set, go. Are you a hopeless romantic or a realist romantic? Hopeless romantic. Uh, realist. 
Favorite book boyfriend? Mr. Darcy. (laughs) Edward Cullen. Do not judge me, okay? (laughs) Favorite book villain? Uh, Mr. Wickham. I have to say Severus Snape, but then he doesn't, he's not really a villain, but then he is, yeah. Lizzie Bennett or Anne Elliot? I think right now Anne Elliot. I have a confession. I have not read Persuasion. (laughs) I I was an English major. I don't know how we didn't read it, but um, I love, did we say, who was the other one? Lizzie. Lizzie Yes. Lizzie Bennett, obviously. Although they're both whiny sometimes, so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Contemporary romance or historical romance or third answer? I love historical. Yeah. I have to say I'm like, a normal people fan. So that's contemporary. Yeah. Like stuff like that. Yeah. All right. Favorite romance trope. And what do you think that says about you? So I love enemies to lovers. Um, I keep writing them. And I think this tells me that I have a really twisted relationship with like, I think I grew up when like men were very like toxic in the way that they treated women. I really, I, I, and I think it did a number on me because there's so many like OG romance novels that are like that, that I probably read. And I, you know, VC Andrews and like all that kind of gothic horror. So probably I need therapy. That's probably what that means. <laughs> but I have a very healthy relationship with my husband. So like what I want on the book, as I told a grade seven class once, the things that you like on the page are not necessarily the things that you want in a relationship in real life. And that's okay. Okay. So I don't even know if this is a trope, but I'm going to just say it is. But like the part in the book where the cup, like the the leads are like, at the crossroads and it's also in Uzma's book, but like, I won't say it, but basically it's a mishap. Like it's a misunderstanding. Like they see them with another person and then they're like, are they married? Are they date? Like, and it's yeah. like, oh and they won't go talk to them. They'll just like assume they're in another relationship. And you're like, what? Like, just go talk to them. But I love that. I love the misunderstanding of like, I saw you at the supermarket with another man <laughs> I'm going to assume you're like in another relationship. And you're like, <laughs> Disney Prince, who has absolutely ruined you for all others. Okay. So it's kind of Prince Eric from The Little Mermaid. Uh, I don't know why. It's something about the blue eyes and the broad shoulders and like rowing the boat. Yeah. Unpopular yeah. choice, I think. I know. I know. I know. I'm telling you, toxic. Toxic. Yeah, I think all Disney things are toxic. I like I'm I like I'm a notoriously Disney hater. I can't even give you the prince because I don't even like any of them. I'm it's just it's true. I can't I can't support. But I I love that you love Eric. How are we friends? Okay. Um all right. Are you a rereader of old faves or a trier of new reads? Do you have a comfort reread or you're like a new person? You need something new all the time. I'm a reader. I love to read. Uh, I'll reread Jane Austen and I'll reread like favorite romance novels like uh, Emily Henry, um, Lisa, uh, Lucy Parker, like, you know, lots of rereads. Yep. Yeah. I, I'm not just saying like contrary stuff just to, you know, be different than Ozma, but I, I can't reread a book. Like I will not reread. It's too much for me. I might revisit like the Twilight series again, just because of nostalgia things like years later, I've done that. Um, but yeah, I love finding new stuff. I'm, I'm a big, big fan. There's so many good things to read, you know, if you could for things that are adapted, if you could only read the book forever, or you could only see the movies forever, which would you pick books? Oh man. Yeah. Books. (laughs) Books. Okay. We agree. We agree on something. (laughs) 
are you a book evangelist or a book explorer? So do you rave about your new reads to everybody or do you just like let people find them? Are you a book pusher basically? I'm not a book pusher. I like to just let people figure things out. Um, I'm a big like therapy book pusher. Um, I tell everybody to read therapy books that I like because I think everybody needs therapy. I need some suggestions. All right. Last one. Preference for communication mode. Book talk, bookstagram, word of mouth, carrier pigeon. Carrier pigeon. I hate social media. (laughs) I'm a big like, I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of the pod, I'm like word of mouth, but through the media, but not social media, like through like other mediums that I trust, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you both for joining us. Before we go, if you could each pitch a thing that you've written that you think is like a great starting place for people um, for your work and then shout out a book by another author that you think people would enjoy. And because Asma had to go, I will shout out her book, Blackwater Falls. Uh, For me, I mean, um, my novel, Much Ado But Nada, just published. So if you want a really romantic read, please pick this up. And uh, an author that I'd love to read, um, Sonali Dev is fantastic. She writes really amazing, smoothie South Asian romances. Um, One of her books she recently recently published with under Mindy uh, Keeling's banner uh, with Amazon and um, she, I, I really like her book recipe for persuasion, which is also a persuasion retelling in, and she does a really good job. So that's, that's my pick. Uh, also the second book in the Blackwater series is coming out. Get the first book before the second book comes out. So you're like ready to go. Uh, I don't have a book yet, but this is a long pitch for 2025 guys. Inshallah, inshallah. If I can write this and finish it. My first debut novel will be published. Uh, It's called Uncovered. um, And it's about a young Muslim girl in high school who decides to wear hijab, but like for all the wrong reasons. And, you know, she gets some lessons learned. She makes some mistakes, you know, and we just have to figure out what happens. Um, But otherwise you can, you can see some of the shows I worked on Amy Schumer's life and Beth season two will come out this year probably. And I just, I wrote on that and it's a fun, fun show to watch and, and it's romantic in its own way. And a book I would recommend is Stephanie Fu's what my bones know, which is like an autobiography of her childhood and trauma and dealing with complex trauma. Cause you guys know I'm a therapy book pusher, but it's, it's narrative and sort of therapy at the same time. Have a good evening, everybody. Thanks so much, Becca. Bye everyone. Have a great night. And there you have it. A huge thank you to Esma Jalaluddin, Sahar Jahani, and Esma Zahanat Khan for joining us to celebrate Much Ado About Nada. If this conversation has made you want to pick up some of their books and the books they recommended, you can do that in our shop or on our website, meetcutebookshop.com. Next week will be our 20th and final episode for the season. We have lots of other projects that need our focus over the summer. So if you've been enjoying this podcast, what better time to drop a review on the podcast listening platform of your choosing? It'll help people find us, and they can catch up while we're away. That's all for this episode of the Meet Cute Book Pod. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop in San Diego, California, and I hope you'll tune back in for more deep dives into romance writing, reading, and publishing. (laughs) 